the text. For the message this morning is the uh, epistle reading in Romans 6. Uh, let's go back to verse 5 for a moment. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is our text. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, I was thinking, as I was looking at this, about my father. And, uh, and well, my father was a really excellent baseball player. He was, uh, well, the major leagues of baseball tried to tempt him into being a pitcher for them. Uh, and he turned them down because he wanted to uh, raise a family instead. Uh, I also had an uncle who was uh, uh, also attempted to, to be brought in. Uh, all of my uncle, my, these are my, uh, my uh, mother's brothers. They were all tremendous athletes and they were excellent baseball players as well. So now, I don't know uh, if you can picture this, but when I was a, a, a young boy, I liked to play baseball too, but I was little and I was, uh, you know, I, I wasn't as awesome as all of them were, at least not the way I saw them. But, uh, and so I always hesitated to, to try and get into their game. Uh, it was always interesting, though, because they never, ever said no. They never discouraged me, uh, despite whatever uh, weakness I, I had at the time. They, they were happy to have me in their game. So... You know, you got to ask, well, why is that? Because I obviously had to be a disruption to have a little kid in the game. But that was uh, their love for me. They wanted to teach me. They wanted to, uh, well, they were uh, utterly willing to tolerate whatever disruption I was, and they trusted that to go well. So that's what they did. I was always kind of impressed with that. Um, now, I, I'm saying this because there were a lot of uh, Jewish Christians in the Roman churches, and, and they tended to expect an attitude of obedience from other Christians. They, even the Gentiles, there was lots of them there too, obviously. Uh, and uh, they, they were demanding enough to not be real tolerant about stuff. So, so you, you see a little bit of this from what Paul is saying here. Um, well... Paul taught them that uh, Jesus forgave all their sins. Well, yeah, that's pretty basic Christianity. But the, the Jewish folks that were involved felt like uh, a generalized forgiveness like that, uh, that, that kind of tolerance from um, God, they, they followed for millennia, that, that seemed unthinkable, that he would just forgive stuff. That there wouldn't be any part for them to follow. Uh, why? Why would he demand them do things if he didn't expect obedience? He'd just forgive everything. So they were a, a little, uh, well, they were a little nearsighted about their own history on this, uh, about their own history of disobedience. Is if you've been in any kind of a Bible study or read any kind of the testimonies of the Old Testament, you know that that the Jewish people didn't obey either. They were always constantly in trouble. That God, see, he always invited them, forgave them, uh, let them come in. 
uh, even when he exiled them, he brought them back. And they just didn't seem to remember that. Uh, but expecting Jesus, the Son of God, to let them in the body of Christ should have been just as unthinkable. Guys, you know, we're all sinners just like them. They should have wondered how come they were allowed to come in. Because they weren't any better than the Gentiles. But to them, it looked to all the world like sinning was being, uh, what would you say, uh, recognized as no big deal if you could just forgive stuff and, and it was done. It was a little confusing. So Paul's telling the Romans that they're not what they were. <laughs> Something has changed. Uh, so they should see that they are dead to sin. Well, that's a, a very strange thing to say. Uh, uh, dead to sin for, for the sake of what Jesus had went through. But, but see, do, do you still want to sin? Even though, I mean, Paul says you're dead to sin. Do you still want to sin? Well, maybe you don't want to sin, but you know you're going to, right? I mean, that's, that's who we are. That's what we confessed already today. Do, do you want to continue to sin just so you can be forgiven? Is the question that Paul's asking here. Because, I mean, that would be weird. I, I don't think so. But you still sin plenty. Anybody that knows you can see that you sin. It's not like it's a great mystery or anything. Uh, any Christian that happens to observe your life would certainly know it. And if there's any doubt in your mind at all, God certainly knows it. There's, there's, there's no mystery there. So did you really change? Well, Paul says you did, but did you? Honestly, how, how could Jesus even want you in his body, bringing in sin along with, uh, to that kind of relationship? If, you know, if, you're, if you're in Christ, then you're bringing your sin with you. Why would he want that? That's, that's a, a pretty hard to imagine thing if you're bringing your ongoing sin into his body because you're part of his body now. That's what he's saying here. It's God's body and you're bringing your sin along. How could he possibly tolerate that? That's all reasonable questions, I think. I mean, after all, really, how, how can you just think that everything is just forgiven? The, the common argument continues to this day, though, for people that look on, uh, well, Lutherans in particular, but Christians that are paying attention, we, we know that our sins are forgiven. And people are thinking, what is that? If, if everything is always just forgiven, isn't that just some kind of permission to do whatever you want? Could it even be some kind of tribute to the great mercy and glory of your God. I, well, by that I mean, if, if he is glorified because he forgives you, then you should be able to sin all the time and it would give him more glory. That's the crazy argument. On the other hand, I wouldn't say much good about the justice and the holiness of your God. 
or, or, or of anything Christian, because if we could just go around sinning all the time and uh, no big deal, that's not certainly going to paint a good picture of your God. But see, but you've been changed. You were baptized into Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been drawn on your foreheads by the water of, of your holy baptism. That, that means you've become the body of Christ. That's what you are now. Joined in all ways to him in one flesh because that's the way marriages go. You've become one flesh with him because you're the church and because he is the bridegroom. And that's the way it is now because you've been changed. In the cross of Christ, you've become dead to sin. It's uh, like Christ died to forgive. See, that's really the big difference. There's, it's not just free forgiveness. It's the forgiveness in the, in the sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God. And this is to end the power of sin over anyone who died with him in baptism, which is so for you. As it turns out, Paul says that the dead are not held under the law anymore. It doesn't accuse you anymore because you're dead. Which is, you know, think about that even a little bit too much. It's, it's in, a little painful in your head. But he's saying you're dead to sin. That means the law can't accuse you anymore because well, you think about it. What, what do dead people do? They're not responsible for anything because they can't do it. And, and so this is true for you as well with regards to sin. That sounds pretty grim if it stands there by itself because you, you just are not still there because you've been changed. Christ rose from the dead in victory. And you are joined to him in the same way as you were joined with him in his death. You have also been joined with him in his resurrection. And you are alive, as it turns out, in Christ. And he can't die anymore. And therefore you can't die anymore because he's risen and glorified to grant you the promise of life eternal. That's just true. And even now you live. Well, I mean, you can see yourself living uh, in the usual way here, but it's more than that. You don't live in simple mortality anymore. But the life that you have is Christ. He says you live in Christ, Jesus. And if all of that is so, just as God has promised, you live in Christ by the spirit that's in you, by the faith that's in you, by those powers that are of God have made you alive. Not just dead to sin, but alive in Christ. That's what you are now. You've been changed. And that faith that is in you doesn't want to sin. So I know you folks, now you, you're going to sin, and this is, like I said, we've already confessed that today, but you don't want to. You want to please God. You also know how hard it is. If anything, it's impossible for you to do so, but that's not the point. You don't want to sin and grieve the Holy Spirit and, and profane the name of your God. That's not what you want. But you crave forgiveness for your weakness. And you have it. All of that has happened in the sacrifice, the blood, the death, and the rising of Christ. Given to you in your baptism.
I, I don't exactly know why, but this always reminds me of um, mobsters and really tough families, because uh, they say stuff like, you're dead to me. Which, you know, is kind of the way this feels to me. Uh, you're dead to me. You're not allowed there anymore. That's kind of what that means. You're not a part of them anymore. God told sin, you're dead to me. Uh, your sin is dead to you. It's gone. It's forgiven. It cannot exist as your way of life anymore because you live in Christ. Forgiven. Free. Alive. These things you are because you have been changed and because now you belong in Christ. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.